Father, this morning we come to you. Come Lord Jesus. Touch our ears this morning that we hear your voice. For you alone have the words of life. We need strength in this hour. We need boldness in this hour to stand firm for all those things which we know are true. All those things which you have taught us over the years. Give us strength to not just believe but to stand. For the hour is come for everyone to take their stand. Even today, let there be an opening of ears. Touch our hearts. Touch our will that we would surrender our will to you, Lord. Not to our own flesh. I speak peace and stillness into every heart here that they might know you are God. In the midst of whatever they are going through, they might know you are God and you are in control. Even through the ministry of the word, speak to us. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Last few weeks we've been looking at foundations. And Jesus says, when the storms of life come, when adversity comes, when affliction comes, when trouble comes, or different terms used in the Bible, okay? The Bible uses all these terms, adversity, storms, floods, affliction, trouble, the day of evil, the day of Jacob's trouble, So many terms in the Bible which talks about dark days. They will come. They are coming. Whether our life, whether our house, whether the church will stand. And if you've been, like those who were there yesterday for the fasting and prayer, and also if you've been following the news, it's every day. It's every day. It's a shaking every day, every week, especially 2016. It's one disaster after another. And you can see as disaster is happening, how people react. People are reacting in anger. People are reacting in vengeance. You know the call for vengeance. And people, nations falling apart. And that's exactly what God was saying. When that hour comes... Will we stand? How will we stand? The strength of a house or a life is always determined by the foundations. So the question we've been looking at is how strong are our foundations? That's why God allows storms into our lives to show us the weaknesses and to prepare us for greater storms that are coming. 
and he himself said that over and over again that if those days were not shortened even the very elect themselves wouldn't survive so we cannot wish it away it will happen for everyone nobody likes storms is there anybody who likes storms no but storms of life are inevitable so today connected with what is happening around the world god is actually preparing the church not the world the world is never prepared god is preparing the church so today let us first turn to proverbs chapter 24 and verse 10 if you faint in the day of adversity your strength is small whatever your adversities whatever your trouble your temptation your trial your affliction whatever it is if you faint in the day of adversity your strength is small now don't think in terms like that but i'm not fainting i am standing that's not what it means the choices you are making is it for god or against god is it towards holiness and righteousness or towards sin if it is towards sin then your strength is small you may be standing strong in your own eyes but if you are falling your strength is very small in the day of adversity very small that's what god is saying adversity difficulty affliction hardship danger temptation if possible everyone would choose to avoid it but you can't it's easy to resent it but our response to adversity to storms often unexpected is the true measure of our faith towards god and our spiritual strength that's a true measure how do we respond when this comes whether it is a trial or a temptation how do we respond is the actual measure true measure of our faith towards god because everybody says i have faith but the true measure of our faith the true measure of our spiritual strength is when the day of adversity comes do we faint do we stumble do we fall fall adversity will prove adversity will prove godly integrity and perseverance that's god's purpose without facing adversity or storm we can only talk about our faith and our strength but talk is very cheap often you and i believe we are very strong we could even tell like peter that even if the others deny you i will not but it is adversity that exposes who you are and when that hour came peter realized he was no stronger than the others and actually he was weaker than the others so it is a lie or a fallacy to think great christians will never falter you will see through the bible through history many great men of god faltered at the time of adversity from abraham onwards after abraham entered the promised land and worshiped god and an encounter with the living god he must have thought i am the cat's whiskers 
I am really strong. I am the only one who knows God. I am the only one who has left everything and followed God until adversity came. When adversity came in the form of famine, you will see he is willing to sell his wife to save his skin. And you realized, in the day of adversity, he fainted and his strength was very small. So many only know the God of good times. Yet scripture says in the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 7 and verse 14, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. Just good. God is blessing you. Everything is going the way you want. Be joyful. Praise God. But those seasons won't last. Let me tell you. Through the Bible, those seasons don't last. But in the day of adversity, consider this. Consider this. Surely God has appointed the one as well as the other. God has appointed both prosperity and adversity. Don't believe the gospel who hear that if you put your trust in the Lord Jesus, only prosperity and no adversity. God says, no, I have appointed both. If it is only prosperity, how will you know your faith is true? How will you know your strength is real? God says, no. In the day of adversity, in the day of adversity, consider and know. Consider and know. God is still in control. Just as you were joyful in prosperity. That is why in God's school, there is no discipline like the discipline of adversity. The psalmist will say in Psalm 119 and verse 67, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Before adversity came, before affliction came, I went astray. During the time of prosperity, I went astray. But now, through adversity, I have learned to keep your word. Watch a man or a woman during the time of adversity. You can actually tell them. You can tell what kind of a person he or she is. You can never judge a person's character during prosperity. Never. It's in adversity you know who a person really is. There are people, like I said, who get confused, panic when adversity comes, and they move from God to the flesh, like Abraham, like so many in the Bible. There are people who during adversity become bitter, like Naomi, to the point her name Naomi means pleasant, and she is so bitter because of adversity, she says, do not call me Naomi anymore, call me Mara, call me bitter. Adversity made her bitter. Adversity brought out not faith, but weakness. She fainted in the hour of adversity. There are people who fall apart when the storm hits or when adversity comes. Remember Lot. When adversity came, the day Sodom was judged, that man fell apart. After that, all you see him is go further and further into darkness and his whole house falling apart. People get discouraged. Even the strongest of men in the Bible have got discouraged because of adversity. And when that happens, they pray. 
or say stupid things. Not just say, pray. Pray what? Stupid things. Including Moses. Including Moses, the great man of God. You know, he's prayed some stupid prayers in the Bible because he couldn't face the adversity anymore. It was too much. In Numbers chapter 11, verses 14 to 15, I am not able to bear all these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. Who told you it was your burden? If you treat me like this, please kill me here and now. We never knew that Moses prayed prayers like this, right? I'm tired of these people. Just tired. Tired. I mean, he's reacting as the pastor of Israel. He says 600,000 men, none in the congregation believe except two. I'm just tired. I can't tell them, tell you to kill all of them, just so kill me. <laughs> kill me. Now. Are you getting the picture? If you treat me like this, please kill me here and now. What adversity did to this great man. And when he prayed like this, God had to intervene. And you know what God intervenes? He said, okay. Pick 70 men and I will divide the burden upon them. Why? Because one man crumbled under pressure and prayed a wrong prayer which moved God to act in a way he probably never wanted to act. Because God would have given the strength to Moses to carry the burden. But this led to God picking 70 people, which a few thousand years later will be the Sanhedrin, which will have a mock trial and crucify his own son. Because one man buckled under pressure. Remember Elijah in First Kings chapter 19, 3 and 4? And when he saw that he arose and ran for his life, went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey in the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die. And said, it is enough. Now Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. The day of adversity. This is a man just a few days back had brought fire from heaven and restored a nation back to God. A day or two later, he wants to die because when the day of adversity came, he fainted. Discouragement when storms come or adversity strikes is a very dangerous thing. You may be going through tough days, tough times, some of you, many of you or all of you. But don't be discouraged. This is what happens even when incredible men of God get discouraged. When you get discouraged, we tend to say stupid things. When adversity comes, the first thing the devil tries to bring is discouragement. And a lot of people die. Not because of adversity, but because of discouragement. They get so discouraged, all they want is to quit and die. Naomi was so bitter and discouraged that she managed to convince with her words one of her two daughters-in-law to quit following her and go back to her gods. 
She is responsible for Orpha falling away because she herself was so discouraged in her adversity. She used her words not to bring life but to bring death. Only Ruth refused to be discouraged in the midst of adversity and pressed on to fulfilling the call of God upon her life. So remember, when adversity comes, some people get so discouraged and they kill others with their words. Discouragement is a personal decision. Nobody can discourage you. If you want to encourage yourself, it too is a personal decision. Don't tell me my situation made me discouraged. No, it's a personal decision. To be discouraged or to be encouraged is a very personal decision. On the darkest, probably the darkest day of his life, scripture records about David in 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 6. Now David was greatly distressed. It's the darkest day in his life. Greatly distressed in the day of adversity. For the people spoke about stoning him. Who are the people? The 600 of his faithful soldiers who have been with him all those years. His own faithful soldiers wanted to stone him. Because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and daughters. But there it stops. But. Encouraging yourself is a personal decision. You can choose to be discouraged by this, though you are distressed, but he chose something else. But David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. He encouraged himself. In the day of adversity, he did not faint. In the day of adversity, he found his strength in God. God will answer him immediately and he'll give him an answer and guidance what to do. But on the journey to recover, you will see 200 of his 600 soldiers are so discouraged and so faint, they just stay back and say, let the others go. We can't follow. Understand this. Even the great apostle Paul would be cast down, though never destroyed from his commitment. He was cast down, but he was never destroyed because he pressed on. So the question is, why does God allow adversity? To see how good our foundations are. To see how much we rely on him rather than on self. Because the problem is, much of our faith, which we claim to be faith, is faith in ourselves, not in God. It is adversity which will show whether we put our trust in God or ourselves. That is what Paul himself will say in Second Corinthians chapter 1, 8 to 10. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia. Like I said yesterday, if you ask Uncle Paul which area gave him the greatest trouble in his life, he will say, you guys, the Asians, not Africa, not Europe, Asia. Greatest trouble. That we were burdened beyond measure above strength so that we despaired even of life. He said if we even despaired we were going to die in Asia. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead. 
he said, when we came to the end of ourselves, then we realize God is still there and his grace, his strength is enough. I don't know how many of us come to that point, but until we come to that point, we really do not understand how strong our God is. That is God's intent of adversity, that our hope will rest upon him and him alone. So dear ones, listen. Our strength will be tested by the day or days of adversity. Sometimes those days come just for that, to test us. It could be your marriage. It could be your office. It could be an institution. It could be a temptation. Whatever you are struggling with, it's a test. It is a test. Somebody said, what good is a lighthouse if its light shines only in good weather? What good is a ship that can sail only in calm seas? What good is an army that looks good only on the parade ground but falls apart on the battleground? That's the Iraqi army. Very good on the parade ground. But fell apart before a smaller group like the ISIS. Just fell apart. Until the battle-hardened Iranians had to come to prop them up. So many Christians are like that. I would add, what good is the church that looks good while worshipping, yet falls apart when they go into the world? What good? Adversity will show us. That's why scripture says, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is very little. Very little. Our strength is very little. So God will allow adversity to test us for us to see whether one, our strength is only in Him or not. Two, whether we value Him above everything else. It is very easy to say, I love God with all my heart, all my strength, all my mind. God said, really? He said, I heard you. I've taken you at your word. Now let's see whether you meant what you said. And the protective hedge around us. That's what Satan said about Job. In Job chapter 1, verse 9 and 11, this is what he said. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? He said, you are pointing out to Job and said, Look at my boy, Job is such a wonderful guy. He says, he's a big deal. He says, you look, have you not made a hedge around him? You put a protective wall around him. Nothing, no calamity, no adversity touches him. Around his household, on, around all that he has on every side and you have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. He says, you're talking about this man really loves you? You're telling me this Job really worships you? He's a true believer? He says, look at him. You have blessed him immeasurably. 
not only that you have put a hedge around him nothing can touch him no adversity strikes him that is when god says okay i'll take the hedge off you can touch him only don't take his life let us see whether he is a truly righteous man or not let us see whether he really loves me or not you see in his entire generation god could speak only for job not anyone else that lived in his time the question is can god say this about you and me what if he takes the hedge off all our wealth our health and our home to be touched the question is in the day of adversity will we worship or will we suddenly find we have no strength abraham ran to egypt moses and elijah wanted to die naomi was so bitter she wanted a change of name job's wife wanted him to curse god and die jesus disciples in the midst of the storm thought how can you sleep don't you care for us when the storm came adversity came everybody's heart was exposed so god says if you faint in the day of adversity your strength is very little and i'm telling you again the days that are coming are going to be tougher and tougher days individually homes and churches because god says everything that can be shaken will be shaken and he says judgment begins in the house of god first he shakes his people first so that we ultimately possess a kingdom that cannot be shaken but remember always it is not our strength that delivers us in the day of adversity but it is god's strength but god's strength is appropriated only by faith that is why all the teaching in the church the focus in the scripture is on faith in god why do we teach so much on faith why do we teach so much on faith we teach so much on faith because only through faith each individual can receive the strength of god faith is like the wiring testing our faith examining our faith checking our faith growing in our faith and our faith has to be tested and adversity is what tests our faith when it says in the day of adversity our strength is weak it actually means our faith is weak our faith is weak and true faith is not built by prosperity or poverty a true faith is built in times of adversity when you and i must have god's strength 
That's why God's saints in the past, if you look in the Bible, actually appreciated adversity. How many of us appreciate adversity? In fact, God says, wise men will rejoice during adversity. In Romans 5, verses 3 to 5, he says, and not only that, we also glory in tribulations, adversity. Knowing that adversity, that is tribulation, produces perseverance. And perseverance, character. And that character gives you hope. It's a genuine hope. It's not a hope that is birthed by prosperity because that hope is connected with your blessings. This is a hope that comes from your character which has been molded in the fire. It's not outside, it's inside. You know God is real. And you know I can trust Him. James, letter, epistle of James in chapter 1, again will say, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Adversity. Why should you count it joy? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And verse 4, But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You have the strength for the day when adversity comes. So God says, wise men rejoice during the time of adversity because they know. It's good students look forward to exams. Really? Young men? Students? Good students look for exams. It's like they went to John Manohar's school yesterday, parent-teachers meeting. 30 seconds over. Because the teacher said, what do I have to say about that young man? Nothing. He's the best student. He does nothing wrong here. If you're good in your studies, you look forward to exams. The ones who do not study are the ones who go with placards asking for postponement of exams. You know, in universities, no strike and all that, postponed, syllabus is not covered. These are all excuses. Why? Because you didn't study. The wise men in the past appreciated adversity because they knew they were being tested and they would know where their faith was strong enough to receive the strength of God. Please understand also this. Our adversities we face are not the same. But nobody's adversity exceeds another's. They may be different. But God allows adversities in the lives of his children only according to our strength. Nor is adversity impossible to overcome. No, for God's children, God as a father is watching to see that we rely on him so that we can come out victorious. That's what First Corinthians 10, remember two years back, that was our promise. Therefore let him know, him who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. He said, don't be foolish. Don't be overconfident. Be very sure the strength of your faith. But remember, no temptation. This temptation word is also translated as affliction, trial, adversity. Also temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. You may think that my adversity is so special, no one has ever gone through that. God says no, nothing like that. 
every adversity every man under the sun goes through is common to man but god is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted or tested beyond what you are able that is the fairness of god like yesterday i was telling you one of the awesome insights i learned in the past few weeks from another man of god was that the holiness of god is our strength the righteousness of god is our strength why do people turn away scared from the holiness of god why do people turn away from the righteousness of god that is our strength you know why because a holy god will never sin against me that's the only person you and i have confident that will not sin against us in psalm 33 16 to 22 he says no king is saved by the multitude of an army but that's how kings look at their army yeah if you look at young men if you're interested jane's defense magazine okay that is the authoritative magazine on defense things they will give you each country's number of armed men and their battle tanks and fighter planes and destroyers and they look at that strength but god says no king okay no is saved by the multitude of an army a mighty man is not delivered by great strength a horse is a vain hope for safety neither shall it deliver any by its great strength behold the eye of the lord is on those who fear him on those who hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine our soul waits for the lord he is our help and our shield for our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name let your mercy o lord be upon us just as we hope in you that the psalmist wrote this thousands of years ago but how real is this to us has experience what the psalmist wrote has become scripture for us but what he wrote was not scripture for him that was his living experience of a living god we read it we memorize it we quote it but god says is this life for us where have we put our trust in in the day of adversity god says putting our trust in man or anything of man is in vain in psalm 60 verses 11 and 12 scripture says give us help from trouble for the help of man is useless really in the day of adversity where do we turn man or god through god we will do valiantly for it is he who shall tread down our enemies through god even today when we gather here do we gather by faith in psalm 96 where 6 and 7 scripture says psalm 96 honor and majesty are before him strength and beauty are in his do you feel that you may not feel it in your feelings but have you noticed that all those who have consistently never missed church have actually been strengthened by being in his sanctuary that's why david would say i was glad very glad 
when they said to me, let us go to the house of God because there in his sanctuary, there is strength. Give to the Lord, O families of peoples, give to the Lord glory and strength. In this sanctuary, we receive a strength from God and then we go out and glorify him in that strength. We bring glory to him from that strength we receive in the sanctuary. But like I said, our strength doesn't come from our faith, but it comes from God. Faith is only the vehicle that brings that strength. Our strength doesn't come from our prayers. Prayers are only a vehicle through which the strength comes from God. It is only when we truly believe and walk in faith, we are able to experientially say, like Paul in Second Corinthians 12 and verse 10, he says, therefore, otherwise it looks like, now if you look at this, the, the, the words which we started today's message with, right? In the day of your adversity, if you faint, your strength is small. And then you read verse 10 of Second Corinthians chapter 12. It looks like they seem to be opposites. Here he is saying, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecution, in distresses. For Christ Jesus sake, call all this together as adversity for when I am weak. I am strong. Now he's saying something else over here. He says, no. When I am weak, in the midst of adversity, I am strong because I know what the strength of God is. I am strong. I will not put my trust in myself or in the flesh or man. I have put my trust in God. And he says, his strength has always come through for me. Therefore I can, he would say, truly rejoice. In the midst of adversity. So how do we overcome adversity? How do we overcome? We need to overcome adversity. We cannot wallow in pity in adversity, lie in adversity and be defeated. We need to overcome adversity. First thing, simple logic. In time of peace, prepare for war. If you want to overcome adversity, you will never overcome adversity if you try to find your strength at the hour of adversity. No. At the time of peace, prepare for war because war is promised. Christians, believers are the prime targets of the devil. Now more than ever because he is unleashing his rage against people because he knows his time is short. Very little time the devil knows he has. That's why scripture says in the book of Ephesians to put on the full armor of God. For what? In preparation for battle when the day of evil comes. In Ephesians 6 and verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, God says you have to be prepared during the time of peace so that you will be able to stand on the day of war. If you are trying to stand on the day of war without ever preparing, it's like the children who never went to school, bunged, never took notes two days before exam comes, they are panicking, running left and right, calling up all their friends, mugging up something, hoping just to pass. God says, spiritually also, that's what Christians are. They are running everywhere, doing everything else except 
preparing for the day of war. And when the day of evil comes, they just fall flat. They fall. So many of God's children fail when adversity comes because they do not prepare during the times of peace. Saul's army, King Saul's army was only good for the parade ground. You know King Saul and his army? In 1 Samuel chapter 17 verse 11 says, When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, one man, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. But if you had seen them on the parade ground, you would have said, wow, these guys know how to march. Verse 24. And all the men of Israel, when they saw, first they heard, they were dismayed, then they saw, and they fled from him, and were dreadfully afraid. What a wonderful army. On the day of adversity, they were dismayed, and they ran. But you know, the young man who came to the battlefield that day was prepared when the day of evil came to Israel. Scripture says in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 36 and 37. It says 36 and 37. 1 Samuel 17, 36 and... Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. You know what he is saying? He says, Experientially, I know the strength of my God. I am prepared for this day because I was prepared other days. I remember the day the bear came. God was with me. I remember the day the lion came. And God was with me. Therefore, I can handle this Philistine too. You see, he was prepared. God says, are we prepared during the times of peace? David had prepared himself. And you will see through it all, his faith is not in his preparation. His faith is not in his expertise. His faith is not in his testimony. His faith is in God. So his reaction on the day of evil is different. He's not reacting like King Saul or his army. He says, I will fight this guy. I am ready on the day of evil. Are we getting the picture? On Acts chapter 16 and verse 25, you will see, at the midnight hour, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Why were they able to sing in the midst of their adversity? Because they were always singing during the times of peace. They were prepared. The problem is, we do not have a definite living life of worship, praise and faith of walking with God. So when the day of calamity comes, we have heard two years ago in church that Paul and Silas sang, so we also start singing, nothing happens. Nothing happens. It is like people out there trying to excite the demons with their drums. We think suddenly we sing in the prison, God will arise for our sake. He says, you had no worship, no praise during the time of peace. Why should I rise for you in the time of trouble? It's just scripture. It's just theology. It's never life. It's never life. Jesus did not say, I have come to give you scripture. He said, I have come to give you life. 
Life in which you daily order your life slowly, little by little by little by little in the ways of God so that the life of Christ increases. Then when the hour comes, it doesn't matter if it is midnight. And it doesn't matter whether you are in the jail. And it doesn't matter whether your legs are locked up. It doesn't matter whether your back is broken. You know how to sing. Because it is a God whose strength you know, you have experienced. Over and over, you know, you have experienced God. When we do not learn to worship during peace time, question is, how will we worship during war? How will we worship during war? One thing I keep on constantly, because most of the church are young people, and the Wednesdays we are looking at it. One thing I say, if you do not have order in your lives during times of peace, you think when times of war comes you will have order? One thing the army wants during time of war is order. And obey orders precisely. How do they learn to obey orders precisely at the time of war is because they have been trained to have order and obey during times of peace. You think God is different? No. God is no different. God is no different. To lead the most stiff-necked, rebellious people for 40 years in the wilderness, God had to bring order into their leader by sending him to the wilderness 40 years earlier. Said, you walk in the wilderness alone for 40 years so that you can be trained to lead these people for 40 years in the wilderness. You need order first. Do we have order? Because the companies you work in thrive in disorder. Work from home. Come in casuals. Call by name. Come early. Go early. Come late. Go late. Is there any order? Is there order in your spiritual life? Can God be sure about you? I know, you know, I know this guy. This guy, I have to watch because Monday he comes to me on 7 in the morning. Tuesday he will come at 11 in the night. Wednesday he comes at 3 in the afternoon. I have no clue when this guy will come. So I have to be always prepared. Is there order in our life? Try going to school that way. That's why in the book of Malachi, God says, you say you honor me. You call me God. You call me Father. You do all these things. He said, try it with your governor and see whether he will receive it. Do we see where we struggle? Because our faith and all these things we speak are just words and there is no true order the life of God in our life. And God is not angry with us. He's he's saying, adversity is coming. And I'm preparing you by little by little when adversity comes, when you're falling apart, I'm teaching you. Teaching you to show you that when bigger things come, you will be destroyed. So I'm teaching you by increasing it little by little. Because days ahead are going to be difficult. We can witness and experience a hundred miracles. But if it doesn't affect our faith in God, it will be still in vain. You know, Israel was born in Egypt in the cradle of mighty signs and wonders the way the world has never seen and will see 
in the end. It was born in the greatest set of miracles God ever did on earth. Yet, when they left, and so Pharaoh's army behind them, you know what their reaction was after seeing all the signs and wonders in Exodus 14, verses 10 to 12? And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? I'm telling you about people who talk about signs and wonders and miracles. It's fantastic if you have experienced it. But if it did not bring a genuine, real faith in God and experience His strength in your daily life, when the Pharaoh comes, why were their hearts sinking? Because you look at it, what did they see? What did they see? What's written? The Egyptians? Egyptians? In order. Amen. These are a people of disorder because they never had order in their life. They're watching the 600 chariots and the armies of Pharaoh come in order. Their heart just sank. Just sank. Their faith, everything evaporated because it was not based on God. It was all emotions based on signs and wonders. And they said, why? Why here? And verse 12, is it not the word that we told you in Egypt? Now they are preaching to Moses. Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die in the wilderness. Really? Isn't that what has happened to so many Christians who heard that gospel which tells you no trouble in life if you come to Jesus, no suffering, no pain, only health, wealth and prosperity. And when adversity came, they were so angry and they went back to the world. God says, no, that's not the gospel. They never built their faith in God. They never built through their life. They never built their faith in God. So they were destined to perish in the desert without reaching the promised land. Why do so many dear brethren perish without experiencing the strength of God because they never build their faith in God during the times of peace. During the times of peace. During the times of peace. These are times of peace. These are times when there is still peace to worship, peace to gather, resources to come and listen to the word, all, everything available today to listen, to study, to meditate, to pray. These are times. And God says, during those times, if you do not build your faith in God, then when the hour of adversity comes, you will see, you will fall apart. You see prayer requests. So many people prayer requests. Temptation, falling, temptation, falling. Why? What does David say? How does a man, young man, keep from sin? By? By? Hiding your word in his heart. Hiding his word in your heart. As simple as that. Can you memorize scripture when you have 72? Can you memorize scripture when you are 15, 16, 18, 19, 20, 21? Yes. 
Get it into your heart. Get it into your life. And God says, you will overcome. You will overcome. But it is not just memorizing. It is choosing. That's what Jesus said. Those who heard and those who obeyed. Those who heard and those who obeyed. Every time you hear the word of God and you obey, strength comes in. They become a little more stronger. By hearing, nobody is strong. Nobody is strong by hearing. You have only received knowledge. The minute you obey, strength comes in. The minute you obey, strength. The more you obey, the more of his strength is becoming your portion. More of the strength of God becomes your portion. That is where obedience. That's why Jesus said, those who hear my word and obey Minute you decide, I will tell you how you decide to obey. Disobey. Whenever you know the word of God is true, and you know you need to obey, you will find 15 different excuses why you shouldn't obey. Check your mind. To obey God, there is only one reason. Because it is true. And he said it. To disobey God, you have many reasons. Cultural, generation, My parents never did things that way. But you don't know my husband. What has that got to do with the word of God? It is to you. Are you getting the picture? To obey there is only one reason. What is it? God said so. To disobey there are many, many reasons. And God says every time you disobey you are becoming weaker. You are not becoming stronger. When the day of adversity comes, people fall away. And when people fall away, one of the first things you will see is that they blame everybody except themselves. They never take responsibility. David does. He's a man who hid God's word in his heart and he still he fell. But when he fell, he said, against you alone I have sinned. He doesn't name anybody else. He didn't sin alone. But he never named anybody else. He said, I have sinned and I have sinned against you. And God says, I will restore you. And you will finish your course. That's what God is asking. If you do not build your faith during the time of peace, when the time of war comes, you will see you have no strength. So the first thing is that. What is the first thing we saw? In time of peace, prepare for war. Second thing, especially for this generation than any generation that has gone before, do not be distracted. There are too many distracted people around. There are too many things to distract us now. When you are distracted, you take your mind from important things. And you and I have to learn to avoid distraction. Avoid distraction. Have to learn. It says about Jesus both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. In Isaiah 50, verse 7, it will say, For the Lord will help me, therefore I will not be disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint. He said, I will not be distracted. I know what God's purpose in my life is. I know what he wants to do it. I will not be distracted. Luke 9 and verse 51, it says about Jesus, Now it came to pass, when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Time for him to go to the cross and die. He's not going to Jerusalem for a picnic. He's going to die. 
that is absolutely focused, I will not be distracted. Absolutely. Absolutely. He was tempted by the crowds who wanted to make him king by force. He was persuaded by those closest to him, like Peter, to avoid Jerusalem and the cross. Did you see? Distraction. The crowd saying, let us make him king. His friend says, don't go to Jerusalem. But he is setting his face like a flint by saying, I will not be distracted. You have and I, we have to avoid distractions. And those who distract to come through victorious on the day of adversity. Two kings were there. They had a battle. The older king won. And he told the younger king, I will give you a test. If you pass, I will not execute you. The test was this. He was to carry a glass full of water from the palace steps to the marketplace. That was the test. As he was going with the glass full of water, the older king kept two sets of people on both sides. One side, as they passed, as he passed, praised him. The other side, sat on the other side, abused him. But the man reached the marketplace successfully without spilling one drop. So the older king called him and said, How did you manage that? And he said, I concentrated only on the glass of water because I knew my life depended on this, not what this was saying or what this one was saying. When Jesus was on the cross, on the way to Calvary and on the cross, there were two groups. One was cursing him, the other was crying for him. But he kept his eyes focused on his father's purpose. He didn't let either one of them move him. If he had been moved by their abuse by saying, come down if you're the son of God, he says, okay, I'm going to show you. Or if he had been moved by those who were beating their breasts and said, okay, I feel so sorry for you, let me come down. He would have lost his purpose. We get distracted by anything that moves our emotion. And we call it faith. It is not, faith is not based on emotions. It is much, much deeper. It is rock solid in the spirit. Emotions is not faith. That's why one day you will feel great, high and you worship. Next day you go around even open your mouth. Why? Because the faith was never real. What if Paul and Silas only learned to worship at church? Would the record of what happened in the prison at Philippi written? Which is true. Some of the people only sing at church. When they go home, they have no joy. There is no song. When they go to office, there is no joy, there is no song. Why? Because worship for them was a ritual at church. It was not life. And then we wonder, why do I have no strength at home? Why do I have no strength at the worship place? Because God said, the joy of the Lord is your strength and you are only happy at church, so I give you strength there. Can we be honest? Because the end of the age has come. There are a lot of fake Christians all around the world. 
they claim to be born again but if you look at their lives they are born against not again god uses adversity to sift <laughs> the wheat and the chaff so don't get distracted don't get distracted first thing times of peace good times don't read fiction read the bible and learn to obey little by little little by little little by little okay all these ladies i don't know what you read these days old days they all read mills and boone and barbara cartland and messed up their marriages because marriages are not like that if they had read their bible they would have been prepared for their marriage <laughs> they would have learned from sara and rebecca and rachel and abigail and all said okay this is it this is it i better be prepared instead they read mills and boone and they had moons and stars in their eyes and living happily ever after and a rude awakening okay so read your bible you will be prepared for life third thing be very cautious about comfort be very cautious about ease about comfort that's the problem with prosperity prosperity in itself is not evil but prosperity can give you ease which you may choose comfort can make a person spiritually lazy let me give you an example all those who brought their bibles please lift it up or lift your hand all those who brought their bible you see half the church doesn't have the bible because comfort is here this is called comfort you never prepared for the day of adversity when power goes no? comfort are you getting the picture it's absolutely fine to carry your apps and all on your phone and all that you know it's very fine But you know what there is comfort in this. You see marked tearing apart. You know how many years you have read this over and over again. Does your phone tell you that? Your phone doesn't tell you that. One thing about this I know in this I only read the Bible but this I know people do many things along with the Bible. So this is an emergency. when you are standing at the bus stop or something this is life stick to the print as often as possible apps are good print stick to the print because they cannot take this away they can block this they cannot take this away so at least you have one copy in life comfort can cause a person to be spiritually lazy in Deuteronomy 32 verse 15 this is what scripture says he made him yeah 13 and maybe the next verse also ride in the heights of the earth that he might eat the produce of the fields he made him draw honey from the rock and oil from the flinty rock and verse 14 lambs rams of the bread of bashan and goats with the choicest wheat and you drank wine the blood of the grape he's talking about israel and the next verse 15 what does it say but jeshurun that is another name for israel when it prospered 
it grew fat and kicked whom did it kick god you grew fat you grew thick you are obese then he forsook god who made him and scornfully esteemed the rock of his salvation that's the problem with prosperity prosperity itself is not a problem but it does things to our soul if we are not disciplined you see when you didn't have jobs you were absolutely regular at church you cried out to the lord you came you were there for fasting and prayer everything then you got your job then the money came in then you started deciding what i will do with my life that's what happened to israel that's what god says we can become spiritually stagnant in zephaniah chapter 1 and verse 12 scripture says it shall come to pass at that time i will sow jerusalem with lambs wow god is searching such light through jerusalem and punish the men who are settled in complacency settled in complacency say in their heart god will not do good nor will he do evil settled in their heart complacency nay tk he understands today it will be written as he understands what does it mean he won't punish me he won't do good either bad i can continue my way god says no he will let me tell you more believers are destroyed by prosperity than adversity therefore during the time of prosperity they became complacent and when adversity comes they are absolutely ill prepared in jeremiah 48 and verse 1 god will show us how complacency destroys while adversity prepares moab has been at ease from its youth he has settled on his dregs and has not been emptied from vessel to vessel nor has he gone into captivity therefore his days remained in him and his scent has not changed did we understand this when you are making wine there are you have to empty it from one container to another so that the dregs don't go in it's emptied from vessel to vessel god says those who have become finally mighty move from adversity to adversity because to be emptied from one container to another one stage of life to the other stage one place to another place one situation is very painful but god says this fellow from his youth has never moved is very complacent has never been emptied therefore his taste remained in him he is exactly the way he came into the kingdom of god he hasn't changed one bit spiritually nothing at all that's what complacency does he has not changed at all he says he hasn't even gone into captivity to be ca- go into captivity you have to fight right this fellow doesn't fight so how can he go into captivity at least you need to fight a few battles to lose His testimony is I have never lost but you have to ask him have you ever fought That's the problem In the day of adversity if you faint your strength is very little very small and what will happen you will quit You will quit People quit I'm talking about the kingdom of God people don't quit in the world very few people quit in the world set their sights very clear absolutely clear they quit in the kingdom of god 
which is the lasting kingdom. And the church is often full of quitters. Paul knew how to finish the race. It's not enough to start the race, but to finish the race. And you just have to ask this question, 10th of July 2016, the way I am going, will I finish my race? Or how will I finish my race? That's why he says at the end of his life, I have finished my race. He also knew how to encourage those who came under his ministry that they should finish the race. In Colossians 4.17, to a very young Archippus, he will say, and say to Archippus, take heed which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it, finish it, complete it. He's encouraging the next generation. He says, you know what? God has committed something into your hands. Finish it. Don't quit. Halfway. Finish it. Did Jesus quit when his disciples slept through the prayer meeting? You see, you cannot in this walk depend upon others to finish. Jesus was in his hour of adversity and he went into Gethsemane and he told his disciples, tarry with me for one hour. Please pray with me. And he went a little forward and he prayed. They went to sleep. He came, woke them up and said pray and he went back to prayer. He came back, they were again asleep. Did their sleep stop him from praying? My question to you is that is your faith dependent upon the actions of others or is independent on God? That even if the others around you fall apart in their walk with God, will you be able to stand alone? Will you be able to stand alone? This is not a Hollywood movie, Last Man Standing, but it is true. Will you be the last man standing? Can you stand alone? Even if nobody stands with you? Because all around the world you see churches are compromising, falling left and right before the assault of the liberal media and the culture. They're not able to stand. Even the biggest church in the world with all the resources are crumbling under the pressure. All the major denominations have already crumbled and compromised. Why? They don't have to, they don't have the strength to stand in the hour of adversity. They didn't have. Why? Because they did not prepare for this day. By taking a stand and saying this is true with having a living relationship with the living God. Look at the churches. That's all you have to see around the world. Every major denomination has crumbled under the pressure. Under the pressure. The churches are made of individuals, right? If the churches start crumbling, what happened to the people? In Ephesians 3.13, Paul will say, Therefore I ask you, do not lose heart at my tribulations. He says, you look at me in chains, you don't lose heart. I am fine. I know how to stand in adversity. You don't lose your face seeing my chains for you, which is your glory. He says, the more I am in chains, better letters I will be able to write to you. Because most of his letters are written from the prison. Powerful letters. Feign not. Fear not, lose heart, quit not. Because need to remember the room at the foot of the cross is not for quitters. At the foot of the cross there are no quitters. In 2 Corinthians 4.16, this is what he says. Therefore we do not lose heart. 
even though our outward man is perishing yet the inward man is being renewed day by day you know so many this is something true in christendom and in the world world will leave aside as age catches up it's a reality age will catch you up it's not about gray hairs it is your body gets weaker and weaker you have backache and joint ache and all that when age catches up they also start restricting god in their lives but scripture says we don't lose heart yes it's a reality our outward man is perishing but not the inward man the problem is not with the outward man the problem is if the inward man is not being renewing then old age is a disaster it's a disaster i get upset when i hear about pastors saying i'm retiring this year how can you retire there is no retirement in this life you serve till your last breath because you are being renewed you are better it's the only place the government of india has understood this in the universities they said university professors retire only at 62 others 55 58 60 but you at 62 why because the older you get the better you are teachers if they are genuine teachers even more true in the kingdom of god the older you get the better you become because inwardly if you're having a living walk with god you get better and better and better and better so what is this question of retiring and cutting short god in your life no like i said look at revizak and zakun look at them look at them and see not the way they preach the truths they bring out hidden things they are bringing out because in old age they are able to see better than they saw at a younger age because inwardly you are being renewed you know it's not just wine that becomes better with age it's also man why do you go after wine and don't think about yourself i also can become better with age people who drink always look for the oldest wine whether you are young like archippus or old faint not god says faint not don't faint find your strength in god and keep strengthening your faith psalm 29:11 is a promise is a promise the lord will give strength to his people and the lord will bless his people with peace now that's not what we want we first want the order change lord first give me peace he said no i will give you strength first does god give us peace yes but why do we lose our peace because we don't have this to hold the peace god says first i give you strength strength first i give you strength and when i have given you strength it doesn't matter what hits you it's your home it's your office it's your church he says you won't be shaken because i give you strength i give you strength when this is real real remember this is scripture but it's not enough to be scripture it has to be real it has to be experience in psalm 27 verse 1 what the scripture says everybody knows what is it the lord is my light and my salvation it is not that god will show me light god is my light he is my salvation whom shall i fear if god is only showing you light you will fear because the other fellow also comes as the angel of light shows a brighter light 
So you're confused. But when God is your light, and God is your salvation and my salvation, then I have nothing to fear. Why are people so confused when they hear this preacher say that, that one say they have no sure, not sure at all? Because you are never convicted of the word of God, of the truth of God, where it is become part of you. It's never become part of you. So this one says, and I think that is true. The next day you go, God TV, you watch. I think that is also true. How can it all be true? Why? Because it never became genuinely salvation. Increasing in salvation. Increasing in life. God says, this is it. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Can we say? I'm not saying memory words. Can we really say the Lord is the strength of my life? Can we say? That's what God did to Job. He said, test him. Take everything away. Only don't touch him. Don't kill him. Took his children. Took his wealth. Touched his body. Head to toe with diseases. Everything. Yet he says something. I know something. Even if you slay me, I will only serve you. Because there's something about truth. There's only one truth. And if it is true, it's the only thing worth serving and nothing else. And you don't need a reason to serve truth. The very fact it is truth is enough. And he says, you know what? I know one thing, you are true. And even if you slay me, I will only serve you. When he says that, I'm sure Satan was holding his ears. Don't say that. This comes to us daily when we find our strength in him daily and slowly learn to walk in his ways. Psalm 84, verse 5. These psalmists are all writing. We memorize psalm, but this is life for them. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. Pilgrimage is is a journey towards a holy place. Your heart is set on a walk with God and a walk towards God. And he says, his strength is in you. Blessed is the man. Then, when the day of adversity comes, whether it is in your life, in your home, your office, wherever you are, doesn't matter. Like Paul did, remember, in the ship drifting in the sea, in Acts chapter 27, verses 23 and 25, what does he say? For there stood by me, this is, he's just very boldly saying, stood by me this night an angel of the Lord to whom I belong, of God to whom I belong and whom I serve. Very clear. Whom do I belong to? Whom I serve? Saying, do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God. It will be just as it was told me. 276 people in the boat. One man alone knows God. And the boat has been drifting in the sea for the past 14 days. Nobody has eaten. Everybody is hungry. Everybody has lost hope. One man sits there and says, The God whom I serve, the God whom I know, sent an angel last night and told me, For your sake, I have given these 276 people extension in their life. They will not die. You can tell them. Read verse 34 to 36. Therefore I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread 
and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. It's a one-man communion service. He's not breaking and giving it to them because they don't know the Lord. But he's saying, let me show you something here. I believe what I said. He broke it and ate it. Their eyes opened. And therefore, verse 36 will say, they all, next verse, and they were all encouraged and also took food themselves. He didn't break and give it to them. He said, I'm breaking it and I'm partaking it of myself. Once it did there, their eyes opened. This man believes what he says. Jesus broke the bread, their eyes were opened. And he broke the bread, their eyes were opened, and they knew it was him. They knew it was him. Same thing is happening here with four Gentiles. They knew this man is real. This man knows what he's talking about. He knows his God, and his God is real. And because of his God, our life has been extended. Let us eat. If you read the account, what they do next is incredible. Everything based on this man's word alone. In the midst of the sea, floating for days together. Next thing they do is to lighten the ship. They take all their food supplies and throw it into the sea. 276 Gentiles standing on the word of one man who knew God. One man who knew God. God. It's an experience. It's a life. It's a reality. It's a reality. God says, grow in it. Little by little by little by little. Grow in it. Don't get distracted. Times of peace, spend as much time as possible. At times of peace, spend as much time as possible studying the word, reading about other saints who have gone. They say, you are young. Most of you are young. You have plenty of time in your hands. It is, don't fool me. You have plenty of time. Don't tell me, oh, when you come back home, then you are helping your daddy and mommy clean the house. No, you don't do anything like that. If you do, just give me your parents' number. I'll check with them. No, you have plenty of time. Spend time profitably. Spend time in strengthening your life in God. Strengthening. Because when the day of adversity came, you are able to stand. You are able to stand in the day. And that's what we all did when we came to the Lord. The first years of our life, it was very easy. Nobody is asking you anything to do. All we did was do this, do our work, study the word and read about the saints. When the years of adversity came, faith was so deep within. We didn't waver. We didn't quit. We didn't quit. When we realized this has become life. This has become life. And adversity comes. You can stand alone. You can stand alone. If you've got a partner to sing along like Silas, praise God. If not, sing along. This is real, church. And young people, this is real. This is not about preaching. This is not about ministry. This is about God. Where does your strength come from? Is your strength in your faith? Is your strength in your knowledge? Is your strength in your prayers? Is your strength in your resume? Is your strength in your certificates? Is your strength in your speciality? Because some specialities are very rare. 
So you will think, you know, my speciality, I will never lose it. I will always have a job. What if there are, nobody needs that speciality? God says, in the day of adversity, in the day of adversity, in the day of adversity, if your strength is, shall we have that first one once again as we close? If you faint in the day of adversity, do you faint? You faint. There are different ways people faint. Some people, they think they are standing, but they are not standing, they have compromised. That's the only reason they are standing. They have compromised. That's the reason. The only reason they are standing is because they have compromised on the truth. So they will say, you see, I have lost nothing. I am standing in the day of adversity. I have everybody. But the reason everybody is with you is because you compromised on everything else. You fainted. Some people quit. Some people get so discouraged, they kill themselves. God says, in the day of adversity, do you faint? Do you faint? Do you stand there? No. Little by learn to take these little, little steps. Not that God will ask you to do something big one day. No. No. It doesn't happen one day. It happens because you are learning consistently to walk when you fail to repent and come back. Consistency matters in the kingdom of God. Consistency. If Daniel had in at the age of 17, pushed that plate at the king's desk, saying, I will not defile myself. Do you think you would have had a testimony? Do you think the book of Daniel would have been written? How many people went into Babylon? Hundreds, thousands. How many names do you know? Four. Why? Why only four? How many names do you know from the tribe of Judah who was taken to Babylon? Four names. But thousands were taken. Why? Four took a stand. And in the day of adversity, they stood. They stood. They were very gentle. They were not obnoxious. Daniel was very gentle. Don't have to be obnoxious in your companies, in your offices when you have to take a stand. You don't have to be pharisaical and religious and fight with your bosses. No, but gently take a stand for the truth. You may lose. But are you willing to lose? But be sure it is your conviction. Don't say, Pastor said it at church. That's the problem. Because I have seen this happening for eight years in the church. Some people get very convicted when Pastor preached something, they went and changed their clothes. All the short, skimpy ones they sold or gave it away and brought clear, long-sleeved ones. Two weeks later, they are very angry because they are wearing this. The conviction is gone. And now who is blamed? I am blamed. I never even talked about you buying or changing. I only talked about modesty. Are you getting the picture? You need to be absolutely sure that this is your conviction. Then it becomes life. Becomes life. So many people think, doing in emotions. Yes, I made my decision. Tomorrow onwards, 6 in the morning, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to study the Bible two days. After that's over. doesn't work that way. It has to become life. It has to become life. That's the life Jesus came to give. Life from above. There is order. 
there is consistency, there is spiritual quality, there is incredible strength. Incredible, absolute incredible strength, which is the very strength of God. Where you can look at a king in his eye and say, if my God wants to save me, he will. If he doesn't want to save me, it's fine with me. Either way, I won't bow to your idol. Will you be able to say that to your company? If my God wants to bring me through, he will bring me through. If he doesn't want to bring through, but I will not obey or believe what your company says because it's against what I believe is true. Gently, but forcefully. Because there is conviction. Because we are coming to a day and hour like that. Because churches have crumbled around in the world under the pressure that is coming. From bathrooms to dating sites. Everything crumbled. Christian, what is that called? Christian date.com, right? Now they have to open up to gays also. Otherwise they said we will take you to court. So, now we have a different section, ChristianDate.com, for gays, homosexuals too. Why did you believe it? Why didn't you shut down your site? Why didn't you shut down your site? No, you can't, because there's money there, right? You, you became complacent because of money. Now you are not willing to lose business. You see, everyone will have to take a stand. And it's not too far away, even in India. Everyone will have to take a stand. And you don't take a stand then. You take it now. It is in times of peace. Your convictions are made and forged in iron in your soul. That's when conviction is made. Then when the day of adversity comes, you will be able to stand. Why? Because you made your decisions like Daniel very early. This is, this is, this is, this is, this is, this is, this is my convictions. King Saul was a man of no convictions, though he swayed here and there. David was a man of convictions. Therefore, he finished his race. Convictions come early. And you need to stand firm on that church as young people. Because it's not going to be easy. And if this is true, say that is true. I am wrong and I back away. Culture has no opinion about God's word. Family tradition has no opinion about God's word. Your feelings have no opinion about God's word. This God says, He says, I myself have exalted my word above my name. Make this decision. Today, I will live or die by this. Live or die by this. That's how saints are made. A small decision. This is your word, Lord. I surrender. Now help give me the strength to obey. You cannot tell God, Lord, I don't know whether I believe it or not, but give me the strength. God says, no, first believe. Then I will give you strength. I'll give you strength to obey. Amen? Shall we stand? Father, this morning we stand before Thee in this new place where we have met together for the very first time. So many believing children probably has come through the gates of this institution, yet lost their faith by the time they left. Because they didn't have foundations. They didn't have roots. When contrary ideas and opinions came, they faltered, they were shaken, and they fell apart.
Today before you stand so many young people. So many young people. I pray, Lord, the word they have heard today and the days before. They would learn to practice. Little by little, obey. Because it is in obedience that we find your strength. Help us not to be hearers of the word alone. Hearers will compromise when adversity comes. But hearers who obey will have your strength as their portion to stand firm, even if alone. To stand as the witness of your mercy, of your grace, and of your strength when the day of adversity comes. Help us, Lord. Help us. There is no hour in the history of the church, O Lord, when the church needed you more than now. For the church has lost its foundations. It has lost its vision. It has lost its strength. It has lost its order. And there is no power. Hit the need in every heart, every life. The cry is, Lord, I want power to be your witness. And the promise given was, when the Spirit comes, you will receive power. Help us to tarry. Help us to wait. Help us to bring our lives in order that He can anoint us afresh with your Holy Spirit and with your power. That you may have a witness on earth. A true witness. Weak but strong. Pushed down but not destroyed. Perishing outwardly but being renewed inwardly. Maybe weak in the physical eyes, but absolutely clarity in the spiritual. Maybe losing, losing hearing in physical ears, but absolutely clear in spiritual ears. Where the voice of God only becomes louder and louder with each passing day. For that's the life to which you have called us. And it is not imagination, it is reality. To walk with God is our destiny. It is not for tomorrow, it is for today. For faith is now. For faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things unseen, it is now. Pray, Lord, each one will grow in faith. In faith. That the strength of God will be a reality in our day-to-day lives. That we will stand strong in the day of adversity and not faint. Stand strong. Even if we have to stand alone in our institutions, in our workplaces, maybe in homes, for where many here standing 
are the only believing ones from their homes to stand strong and stand alone in their homes. Give them strength. Give them strength, O Lord. Give them strength. Let none faint. Thank you, Father. Thank you. I bless your people in your name. May the strength of God be their portion. May the joy of the Lord be their strength. Let the peace of God garrison their hearts. Let God be real for each one. Thank you, Father. We pray for this place. We pray for all the children who come here every day, through the week, through the months, through the years ahead. I pray, Father, they would find you here before they go. More than knowledge, I pray, Father, they would find Christ, who is the wisdom of God. More than a degree, they would encounter the person of Christ before they go from this place, O Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you. I bless your holy name. Bless your holy name, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen.